Hello and welcome to this week's edition of Worcester Talking Newspaper, recorded at Colin Chance House on Thursday the 7th of June. I'm Jenny Tansy and with me reading the news are... Kate Hudman, Hannah Green and Margaret Brown. Nigel Green is our engineer, Carol Hartle is working on the administration and this week's copying team are Bernard and Doreen Potter and Janet Bailey. Thanks to Worcester News for all our information. The headlines this week are... Anna is one step closer to her new heart. Topless vandal given a lifeline. Punish me, not my dog. Dog faces death after biting child. City's fuel price war. And then Thursday, there are two headlines. Is this the city's new bridge? And council tax hike wasn't needed. Um, The... Obituaries are Marion Cross passed away peacefully on May the 24th, aged 83. The funeral services at Worcester Crematorium on June the 15th at 2.30. Frida Rose Gazard, nay Hanley, passed away on May the 17th, aged 91. Funeral services at Worcester Crematorium on June the 15th at 12.15. Patrick Kavanagh, known as Pete or Cav, passed away peacefully at Worcester Royal Hospital on May the 8th, aged 83. The funeral service is at Worcester Crematorium on June the 8th at 2.30. Vi and Barry Lewis. Vi sadly on May the 5th and Barry on May the 11th. Vi was 72 and Barry was 78. Service for both are at Worcester Crematorium on June the 8th. We didn't have a time on that one. Hazel Patricia Warner, nay Humphrey, of St. John's, passed away in hospital on May the 25th, aged 82. The funeral was yesterday. Raymond Kenneth, known as Ray Adams, passed away on May the 15th, aged 74. The funeral service is at Worcester Crematorium on June the 11th at 1.45. Audrey Jean Hancocks passed away on May the 18th, aged 59. The funeral service is on June the 18th at noon in Samson Walk Baptist Church. Melvin Price passed away on May the 17th, age 74. Funeral services at Worcester Crematorium on June the 11th at 2.30. John Howard Sheppey passed away on April the 30th, aged 68. The funeral services at Worcester Crematorium on June the 11th at 1 p.m. William Patrick Bayard Thomas, a retired major, Passed away on May the 15th, aged 82. The funeral service is at Worcester Cathedral on June the 11th at 1.30. Mervyn William Davies passed away peacefully on May the 21st, aged 81. Internment at Westall Park Natural Burial Ground in Inkborough on June the 12th at 1pm. Terence Finch passed away peacefully on May the 21st, aged 74. Funeral services at Worcester Crematorium on June the 13th at 1.45. John Greaves passed away at Latimer Court Care Home on May the 25th, aged 82. The funeral services at Worcester Crematorium on June the 13th at 10.45. John Grove sadly passed away on May the 27th, aged 72. Funeral services at Worcester Crematorium on June the 14th at 1.45. William Edward James Hewlett passed away on Worcester Royal Hospital on May the 3rd, aged 86. 
Service of Celebration of His Life will take place at Worcester Crematorium on June the 13th at 12.15. Brenda Powell passed away in hospital on May the 18th. The funeral service is at St Andrew's Methodist Church on June the 25th at 2.15, followed by the cremation at Worcester Crematorium at 3.15. Olive Jenkins passed away peacefully on May the 16th, age 97. The funeral is at Worcester Crematorium on June the 14th at 11.30. Carol Misters, nay Greeley, passed away on May the 28th, age 72. Funeral services on June the 14th at 9.15. Andrew White passed away on May the 25th, age 71. The funeral on June is on June the 23rd, sorry, June the 13th at 3 p.m. at Hereford Crematorium. Um, our love to all the family and best wishes to them all. I'll pass you now to Kate for the first headline. The headline on Friday, June the 1st. Anna is one step closer to her new heart. A teenager diagnosed with a rare heart condition after collapsing at school is one step closer to getting a life-saving transplant. Anna Hadley, 13, collapsed during a PE lesson at Nunnery Wood High School last November before being diagnosed with restrictive cardiomyopathy and long QT syndrome. She has now been officially placed on the heart transplant waiting list and will also undergo a pioneering procedure in a matter of weeks to help protect her lungs in the meantime. An aspiring hockey player, Anna from Worcester, had just been picked to play for the county when she was diagnosed and until her transplant she cannot undertake any strenuous competitive sport. Her dad, Andy Hadley, said his daughter is now one step closer to receiving her hockey heart. However, this could take up to a year if it happens at all. The lack of registered donors means that 20% of heart transplant patients never actually receive their gift of life, he explained. Those that do wait on average a full year before a donor is found and matched. In what her dad described as an unselfish act, Anna has already consented to offering her useful heart valves for donation. Her failing heart muscle will eventually be used in valuable research projects, such as those funded by the British Heart Foundation. Anna is now due to undergo a pioneering procedure in the next few weeks, where surgeons will also create a hole in her heart between the two atrium chambers, said Mr Hadley. This will help to balance the pressure across her lungs and protect them from damage. Doctors at Great Ormond Street Hospital have already fitted a tiny loop recorder under Anna's skin, which logs an unusual heartbeat episode. This includes high or low heart rates or other arrhythmias and downloads this data overnight to the hospital for analysis while Anna sleeps. My new hockey heart will save my life and allow me to play hockey again, Anna said previously. I can't wait for that day to happen, but it also makes me sad to think think that another person will lose their life in order to save mine. With her hockey dreams on hold, the plucky teen took part in the Worcester Hearty Walk on April the 15th as part of her mission to raise money for the BHF, collecting over £2,650. Mr Hadley said that he had heard about the hearty walk and suggested Anna took part to refocus her while she's still reasonably able-bodied. 
Her heart doesn't pump blood round her body at a quick enough rate, he added. She gets tight-chested and light-headed when she does too much. He said the recovery period after a heart transplant is six months and after that she goes back to a normal active life. She can climb mountains, swim oceans and play hockey. She'll get back to normality in terms of sport. If she gets a new heart, she can play. Anna will no longer have the symptoms of her condition after the transplant but will have to continue taking medication and there are always risks of her body rejecting the new heart. Mr Hadley said his daughter plans to fundraise for a number of charities that have helped her including GOS and Birmingham Children's Hospital until her condition deteriorates too far. The family have also signed up to the organ donor register, with one donor able to save or improve the lives of nine people. Visit justgiving.com-fundraising-annashockeyheart to sponsor Anna. And on Saturday, June the 2nd, the headline was Topless Vandal Given a Lifeline. A prolific offender said to be turning his life around has had most of his court debts wiped out by magistrates despite kicking in a, kicking in a door panel and damaging a police cell. Sean Carroll, aged 44, of Wiles Lane, had run up a bill of 2,983, but on Thursday, May 31st, when he appeared before magistrate in Worcester, they decided to erase three quarters of his debt. Carol, who has struggled with homelessness and drinking, appeared in court charged with two counts of criminal criminal damage after being arrested topless in Wilds Lane on May 17th. He had damaged a glass pane on Audrey Russo's door in Wilds Lane, causing £200 worth of damage. He was then taken to Worcester Police Station where he threw his foot and drink at his cell wall, causing £50 worth of damage as it needed to be cleaned before reuse. But Sarah Brady, defending him, said there had been a turnaround in his life before this latest offence. It is remarkable, the change in Mr Carroll. Six months with no offences, she said. This appears to be an isolated incident in that context. It is astonishing the change. It is a delight to see. Leslie Ashton, prosecuting, said, The occupant of the house was a very young child. They have been disturbed by the noise. He, Mr. Rusu, that is, goes outside to tell the male to quieten down. The defendant's response is to launch abuse at the occupant. The court heard that the defendant then damaged the glass pane on the front door and so Mr. Rusu called the police. The police arrived very quickly and the defendant is topless, said Miss Ashton. He had an injury to his right hand. He's interviewed by police. During that interview, he fully accepts responsibility for the broken glass pane. Offering Carroll the opportunity to expunge his debt, Chairman of the Magistrates, Tim Morris, said, You need to show that time has been served. Sit in the court until 3pm. All the costs and victim surcharges will disappear. It is to give you an opportunity. We have put our necks on the block. You are clearly trying. There's a lot of people in your corner on your side at the moment. Make the most of it. 
magistrates handed Carroll a 12-month conditional discharge. He was ordered to pay compensation of £200 to Mr. Rusu and £50 to West Mercia Police. The magistrates waived the court cost and victim surcharges. Um, the headline on Monday, June the 4th, is uh, Punish Me, Not My Dog. A teen's plea after being told her pet will be killed for biting another dog. I can't believe they're going to kill him. Punish me, not my dog. That is the view of a teenager who has been told her pet will be put down after he bit another dog. Yasmin, Yasmin Taban sobbed at Worcester Crown Court as she, were told, as she was told Bronson, a Staffordshire Bull Terrier, was deemed to be dangerous and would be destroyed. Speaking to the Worcester News, the 19-year-old, who was fined £100, ordered to pay £135 prosecution costs, £30 victim surcharge and compensation of £200 to the victim, victim dog's owner, said, I personally think they should have punished me, not Bronson. I expected more of a harsh punishment on myself. They would rather kill my dog than to deal with it properly. A ban would have been more effective than killing my dog. I would have understood if he had savaged the dog. She didn't have to go to the vet for stitches. She added, I can only blame myself. Speaking about Bronson, she said, he's a big softy. He's very much a lovable giant, really. He looks after my baby nephew a lot. Well, my nephew's about five now, but they've grown up together. He loves playing with my nephew. He loves to sleep a lot too. The dog trainer in Worcester said he is well behaved and no threat towards humans. The teenager who suffers from anxiety, depression and is thought to have a personality disorder said, I have very bad mental health problems and he is like my therapy dog. If I'm crying, he will not leave me alone. He will rub his nose against my face until I stop. In court, Miss Taban begged magistrates to spare her pet's life. She said, he is a good dog. I can't believe they're going to kill him. It's not his fault. It's my fault. I let him down. Miss Taban had failed to comply with an order made by the court on April the 27th, 2017, to control her dog. The order said Bronson must be kept on a lead and muzzled in public and that he had to be secured in her home and garden. Bronson had nipped at a young boy after escaping from Miss Taban's garden. The child did not suffer any injuries as a result. But on March the 23rd this year, Miss Taban's dogs, Bronson and Bella, also a Staffordshire Bull Terrier, managed to escape through a window which had been left ajar at her home in Tetbury Drive, Walden. At about 10am, the dogs attacked Patricia Callow's five-year-old cocker spaniel called Maggie in Windermere Drive in Worcester. Maggie sustained an injury to her front right paw and a bite to her head measuring about 1.5 centimetres. The dogs did not attack Miss Callow. A passerby who witnessed the attack said it lasted about five minutes before a male friend of the defendant pulled the dogs away and apologised. Miss Taban, who had been carrying out errands at her home, was unaware of what had happened until her friend returned with the dogs. 
She was interviewed by police and took responsibility for the incident and explained that the dogs had not been secured. Jerry Varhi, defending, told the court that Miss Taban had since handed over Bronson to a new owner, who was more responsible. However, magistrates still insisted that the dog be put down. They issued a dog control order in respect of Bella. This means she must be muzzled and on a lead in public, and Miss Taban's home and garden must be secure so that the dog is not able to escape. Miss Taban now has three weeks to appeal the decision regarding Bronson and is urging solicitors in the city to take on her case. And the headlines for Tuesday, June the 5th, is another dog story. Dog faces death after biting child. A dog may have to be destroyed after he bit a child in Worcester. Craig Davis, age 30, and Jennifer Powell, age 27, of Birch Avenue, Toledine, Worcester, have been convicted of being in charge of a dog that was dangerously out of control. However, the judge turned down their request to have the animal called Sven released from police kennels so as to protect public safety at a hearing at Worcester Crown Court. Sven bit a child in Worcester on July the 26th last year and the judge must consider both the sentence for the defendants and the possibility of a destruction order or contingent destruction order. Philip Van, sorry, Philip Volans, prosecuting, asked that the case be adjourned during the hearing at Worcester Crown Court on Friday on the grounds that the court's expert had not seen a video prepared by a defence expert assessing the risk posed by the dog. The video was said to be 53 minutes long, and Mr Volan said it was regrettable that it had not been served sooner so that the prosecution expert could view the footage. Recorder Jacqueline Carey said she wanted to see a table of the issues contested between the prosecution and defence, and said watching a 53-minute vi- video was not a production used. Sorry, it was not a productive use of the court's time. Pamela Rose, defending, said, "My concern about an adjournment is that the dog is still in police kennels." But recorder Carey said, "I understand, but my concern is public safety." Miss Rose said the injury to the complainant was not the most serious and said she remained concerned about the dog being kept in kennels, asking for the animal to be returned to its owner in the meantime. That isn't happening, said Recorder Carey. Miss Rose said, we are most disappointed. The recorder apologised to the defendants that the sentence hearing could not take place. She said, I'm not prepared to entertain an application for Sven to come back to you. I know that's what you want, but I have to look at the protection issue, not just what you would want and what you would hope. Both defendants were granted unconditional bail until the next hearing on July the 16th. The headline on Wednesday, June the 6th, City's Fuel Price War. Although fuel prices have risen dramatically this year, there is still a big difference between the cheapest and most expensive places to fill up in Worcester. Petrol rose by 6p a litre in May, the biggest monthly increase since the RAC began tracking prices 18 years ago. A combination of higher crude oil prices and the weaker pound are to blame for the increase. 
the Worcester News recorded fuel prices around the city in January 2017 and after doing the same yesterday saw a significant increase. Average petrol prices hit 129.4 per litre while average diesel prices also rose by 6p to 132.3p a litre. Many motorists in Worcester expressed their anger at the rise in prices. Donna Rogers said, Rip off Worcester as usual. Zaina Sahir asked, In Droitwich the price is 122, but in Worcester it's 131. Why? While Neil Jay said, It's getting too expensive to live in Worcester now. Time to move out. Ken McIntosh said, Complete rip-off. Only a few weeks ago it was heading to 1.30 and now it's heading to 1.35. Sainsbury's in Blackpool is currently the cheapest at 122.9 for unleaded and 125.9 for diesel. It was at 111.9 for unleaded and 119.9 for diesel. BP Garage in Blackpool is 128.9 for unleaded and 131.9 for diesel. Tesco in Millwood Drive, Warnden Villages is charging 126.9 for unleaded and 130.9 for diesel, a significant rise since January 2017, when the prices were 116.9 for unleaded and 120.9 for diesel. Texaco in Tolodyne is charging 128.9 for unleaded and 131.9 for diesel, whereas last year it was 118.9 for unleaded and 120.9 for diesel. Londis Texaco on Droitwich Road is charging 128.9 for unleaded and 131.9 for diesel. Last January, they were charging 118.9 for unleaded and 121 for diesel. Esso on Castle Street is at 129.0 for unleaded and 131.9 for diesel. Londis Texaco on Bath Road is charging 128.8 for unleaded and 131.9 for diesel. The most expensive fuel station was M&S BP in Lower Wick at 129.9 for unleaded and 134.9 for diesel. Last year the prices were 121.9 for unleaded and 124.9 for diesel. Is this the city's new bridge rising is the first one of the two headlines on Thursday, June the 7th, today's um, stories. A huge scaffolding structure has sprung up on the floodplain of the Severn near to the Carrington Bridge. Workers have been erecting the structure on agricultural land just north of Team Sideway, the A4440, between the Powick and Ketch roundabouts. The scaffolding is going up just west of the river. One motorist said, You can see traffic slowing so people can try and look at it. They're obviously really interested. Worcestershire County Council confirmed it is the very early stages of the next phase of improvements to the A4440, with work in earnest due to start next year. 
Teamside Way will be turned into a dual carriageway to eliminate a traffic bottleneck on the ring road and a new two-lane bridge will be built to carry traffic across the Severn next to the existing bridge. At least that eliminates the other, possibly less than serious suggestion that with a scaffolding somewhat resembling a grandstand, perhaps Worcester City's ground search was at an end. And the second headline was council tax hike wasn't needed. A council tax hike this year was not needed, it's been claimed, after the council admitted it had hundreds of thousands of pounds left over. Taxpayers were asked to pay more unnecessarily, according to council leader Mark Bailey's. After it was revealed the authority had ended the 2017-18 financial year with £872,000 spare. City residents were asked for a 2.99% rise in the portion of the council tax the city authority takes or a £5.24 increase for band D payers for the year in April. But at the end of March, the Guildhall had £872,000 spare, including £644,000 from the revenue budget and an extra £228,000 from money set aside to cover a possible shortfall in income that was not needed. Councillor Baylis, the council's Conservative leader, also believes there's even more money left over. Referring to money for identified projects that has not actually been spent, Councillor Bailey said, if you add that to the £870,000 that comes to substantially more than £1 million. In a way, that's a good position to be in, but we're taxing people unnecessarily to put more and money, more and more money into surplus. I hope this council will change its behaviour when it comes to the next budget round. The figures were revealed at the Council's Policy and Resources Committee on Tuesday night. When the decision to put council tax up was made in March, Conservative councillors voted against the increase but were narrowly outvoted by a combination of Labour and Green councillors. Councillor Adrian Gregson, leader of the Labour Group, was council leader when the decision was made. He said, This council has to budget and plan sensibly and raise money responsibly in order to provide excellent services. We have to be prepared for further government cuts to local government funding and use the money for good causes where it's needed. Some of the surplus will now be used for projects to prevent homelessness and supporting victims of domestic violence which are themselves suffering from government cutbacks. Councillor Louis Stephen, leader of the Green Group and chairman of the Policy and Resources Committee, said the increase was just to track inflation. He said it's not an increase in real terms at all. At the time, inflation was running at 3%, so it was necessary to keep pace with that. Central government has cut funding to local councils by 50% over the last 10 years, and if we don't keep pace with inflation, the only thing we'd be able to do would be to cut services. 
We want to maintain high quality services which are very important to the people of Worcester. And this is an item from the News in Brief. Um, headed Javid's Pledge. The Home Secretary, Sajid Javid, confirmed that the government plans to recruit 2,000 extra officers into the security services to fight, to fight severe terrorist threats. The Bromsgrove MP also reiterated his pledge, first made in a speech to the Police Federation in May, to seek extra funding for police in the next spending review. He said, that is part of the announcement, making sure we have all the resources we need to fight this severe terrorist threat. He added, police were facing rising demand, citing terrorism, cybercrime, historic sex crimes, child sex abuse and domestic violence, adding, these are things we want our police to deal with and we have got to make sure that they are properly resourced. What I have said to the police is that whilst we have increased resources dramatically in this financial year by some £460 million throughout England and Wales, I want to make it a priority of mine in the next year spending review. Next year. A drug-dealing dad broke down in tears as a judge gave him one last chance to turn his life around for the sake of his son after he sold cannabis to clear his debts. Bilal Zaka wept when he learnt he was not going to jail for dealing cannabis in Worcester. The 23-year-old of Kiln Crescent, Worcester, admitted possession of a Class B drug with intent to supply at Worcester Crown Court last Thursday. Michael Conroy prosecuting, said Zakar was found with eight wraps in his coat pocket on December the 23rd last year. Text, <coughs> excuse me, text messages on his mobile phone were also analysed, indicating he was selling a specific type of cannabis and had been doing so since last November. The value of the drug was placed at around £80. Zakar was previous convictions, had previous convictions, but none were related to drugs. The defendant was interviewed by a probation officer, telling the officer he had lost his job working for a headlight manufacturing company and his debts were getting out of control. Zakar told the officer he had sold the drugs to pay his bills and also to fund his own cannabis use, but that he now had two jobs, working as a courier and as a bookmaker's, at a bookmaker's. The court heard that Zakar's debt included £3,000 owed to a mobile phone provider and £700 a day loan debt. Nick Roberts, defending, asked that Zakar be given a 25% discount in the length of any prison sentence to reflect his client's early guilty plea. Mr Roberts also said Zakar had been candid in his basis of plea, which was that he had sold drugs to help pay off his debts. He told the court that if Zakar was sent immediately to custody, he would not be able to work to support his partner and child. Recorder Jacqueline Carey said, You said the cannabis was for personal use in interview. Clearly you did not tell the whole truth in that interview. The Sentencing Council guidelines for this level of street dealing have a starting point of a year's custody with a range of between six months and three years possible. 
The recorder sentenced him to nine months in prison, suspended for 18 months. She also ordered him to complete 245 hours of unpaid work to be added to the 65 he failed to complete on a previous order, telling him unpaid work is not something you can dip in and out of. She added, this is a chance for you to prove you've grown up and want to do right by your son. A councillor has called for a multi-storey car park at Worcestershire Royal Hospital to combat nuisance parkers in residential streets. Councillor Andy Roberts, who represents Warnden Parish on both the City and County Council, says the hospital does not provide enough spaces to fit demand and hopes a multi-storey will stop nuisance parkers from blocking streets and roundabouts nearby. He cited Fells Avenue as one of the worst places for hospital staff and visitors leaving their cars. At the moment, the roundabout in Fells Avenue is pretty intolerable, he said. One of the highways of officials said it is the worst example of nuisance parking he had ever seen. What I'm hoping for in the medium term is a multi-storey car park. Councillor Roberts said the problem is a historic one and the parking problem at the hospital stems from a ruling in the 1990s which meant the number of spaces at the hospital was limited to 75% of its capacity. They were hoping for more people to walk to the hospital or travel by bus, which hasn't been the case, he said. I'm not saying that cars being parked there is dangerous, but it is a real nuisance, especially for people who have lived here before the hospital was built. Parking at the hospital is by far the thing I get the most of in my mailbox. I live in the area, so I see it for myself, how much of a nuisance it really is. I'm affected by it every day. Councillor Roberts feels double yellow lines would not solve the problem. Putting yellow lines in would not prevent people from parking on the streets. It would only move the traffic further down the road. A spokesman for Worcestershire Acute Hospitals NHS Trust said, We currently have more than 1,200 car park spaces on site for staff and visitors, and a further 141 spaces are due to be created over the next 12 months. The Trust has also taken active steps to alleviate parking issues by providing a free park-and-ride facility for staff at Six Ways. Where staff do choose to park in alternative locations, we ask them to park considerately. A city boy has reached the final of a BBC Radio 2 competition. Evan Boxall, aged 7, of Redhill Primary School, is in the top 50 of Chris Evans' Radio 2 Breakfast Show's competition. This year's BBC Radio 2 500 Words competition received 134,790 entries from young writers. Writers are asked to write a 500-word story about their chosen subject, with Evans' story named The Pooh Fairy. Evan will go to the live final at Hampton Court on Friday, June the 8th, where they'll choose the winner. His father, Chris Boxall, said he did this completely off his own back in his own time. We are really proud he has managed to get this far. There are 25 stories in the 5 to 9 age group and 25 from the older age group, so he's done really well to get there from 135,000 entries. 
Plastic is the children's word of the year, with a 100% increase in usage compared to 2017. The Chris Evans Breakfast Show takes place on weekdays between 6.30am and 9.30am. This is an article about the building of a new brine bath in Droitwich. The spa is, center, is set to return to Droitwich after plans to build new baths were given the, the go-ahead. Planners at Witchhaven District Council gave the green light to the application, which will also include a jacuzzi and a cafe. Councillor Bill Moy, one of five directors of Save Our Brine Baths, SOBS, in other words, said we have had an underutilised asset right here in Witchhaven, uniquely not just in Britain but in the world. Droitwich's town folk care about their heritage and also see the commercial opportunity to use its brine to redevelop Droitwich as a major tourist destination, bringing visitors and much-needed business back to the town. This application is a vital step along the way to establish a new brine baths next to the existing Lido pool. Droitwich Town Council fully supports the application and without reservation. Councillor Moy added that Droitwich brine had been recognised as a value commodity more than 2,000 years ago and should be utilised to the full for the benefit of the people of Witchhaven. SOBS was set up by Councillor Moy after the brine baths closed in 2008 and has since raised thousands to pay for the application. Councillor Bob Brooks outlined what would now need to be done to bring the baths back to, including raising the funds to build and equip the building, negotiating the land, finalising the design and bringing back a detailed application to the planners at Witchhaven. Save our brine baths, understand that obtaining this outline planning permission is the very first step on a difficult road to bring their project to the satisfactory conclusion, he said. We have a committed group of local residents with the full backing of Droitwich Town Council and with your support, I believe, they can put the spa back into Droitwich Spa. Councillor Tony Miller looked forward to seeing the final application. He said a delightful application would say it's nice to see spa come back into Droitwich. Droitwich has not been recognised as a spa town for some years now. Councillor Margaret Rowley said she was disappointed with the current application as she thought the brine bars would sit better on the other side of the pool. I know that it is for future consideration, but I would hope that we would see a design which was more appropriate to the positioning when we see the final design, she said. I would have liked to have supported this application, but it is in the wrong position. Sorry. A resident took it upon himself to cut the grass verge outside his home because it blocked his view of oncoming traffic. Andy Atkinson, aged 40, of Malvern Road Poet, trimmed the grass after becoming fed up with waiting for the council to act. However, Worcester County Council plans to cut the grass on a dual carriageway section of Malvern Road today, which was Tuesday. Mr Atkinson said the grass verge outside ours is dangerous. We can't see oncoming traffic. 
It had become overgrown and looked bad. As a property owner, you want your place to look nice. With it growing four foot tall, it's not. It was the council's responsibility to cut that part, but they didn't. We pay council tax for these things to be done and end up doing it ourselves. I did the same thing last year. Mr Atkinson said residents who live opposite Ridgeway Storage on Malvern Road have also cut the verge outside their properties. The ambulance technician said it is a dangerous part, point to pull out into his drive when returning from Malvern as the centre reservation is still overgrown. Helen Moon, age 47, of Malvern Road Poic said, The grass is in the central reservation is so tall that my husband, who's over six foot, can't see the oncoming traffic to cross on foot, let alone getting across in a car. It used to be cut three or four times a year. The last couple of years it hasn't been cut until May, and by this time the grass is so tall that you really are endangering your life trying to get across the road. It's a bit of a daily trial. People I know have died at this section in the past, so it really is very scary. Contractors carried out emergency work to improve visibility for cars turning right towards Bolvan from Poic Sparrow Hall Lane after the County Council filed a request on May the 17th. Workers will cut grass on dual carriageway section today and the wider road on Thursday. A Worcester museum closed for five months for a lottery-funded revamp has reopened to the public today, and that was on Friday, June the 1st, ahead of an official opening. The refurbished Museum of Royal Worcester, supported by a national lottery grant of £1.4 million awarded by the Heritage Lottery Fund, opens its doors after a five-month closure. The new galleries at the museum are swathed in deep period colours and the graphic backdrops to the showcases have been carefully chosen from the museum's rich archive to show the porcelain off to its very best advantage. As well as displaying the world's largest collection of Worcester porcelain, the interpretation includes information about manufacturing processes, customers, worldwide distribution and the social history of the people behind the porcelain. An official opening is planned for the autumn. Meanwhile, a temporary museum shop, which has been based at the Guildhall for the past six months, closed yesterday with the shop moving back to the museum's main home in 7th Street, ready for today's reopening. The shop has been selling vintage and antique Royal Worcester made at the museum's factory alongside the largest range of Port Merion's contemporary Royal Worcester goods in the local area. The museum has also hosted craft demonstrations and other family activities in the temporary shop and in the Guild Hall. Sir Michael Perry, museum chairman, said being able to relocate the Museum of Royal Worcester shop to the Guild Hall was of massive help and importance. It allowed us to keep a presence in the city during our closure and give us an opportunity to showcase the museum's work to a significantly wider audience. The income generated from the sale of goods was immensely helpful, especially as without the Guildhall shop we would not have any alternative way of selling or storing our stock. Councillor Jabarias, the city mayor, said, I am delighted that the city council was able to step in and help one of Worcester's most iconic tourist attractions to continue trading while their main building was closed for refurbishment.
Organizers plan to shut roads in a town center over fears of a terrorist attack at the upcoming Blues Festival. Upton Blues Festival took the decision because of the number of people walking in the streets at last year's event. Some are worried that terrorists may crash into the crowds with a vehicle similar to the attack on London Bridge last year. Graham Bunn, chair of the Blues Festival, said the mistake to make would be it's only Upton, it could never happen here. The thing that swung this was the possibility of terrorists driving into crowds of people. Can you imagine if someone hired a truck and drove it into that crowd at 80 to 100 miles per hour? We would see more people killed than on London Bridge. The danger is that people say, don't be ridiculous, it won't happen in Upton. But one person was hit by a car in the town centre during last year's festival, while another two people were clipped by vehicles. Organisers now plan to install two hostile vehicle mitigation barriers, specifically designed to stop ramming attacks outside Ye Old Anchor Inn for the first time this year. Mr Bunn, aged 59, landlord of the pub, said if a van does drive at them at speed, they will stop the van. They can be lifted to let the emergency vehicles through. He added that concerns about a terror attack were raised at a safety advisory group meeting, which involved police, fire and ambulance services. Old Street, High Street, Waterside, Church Street and parts of New Street and Dunn's Lane will be shut for the festival. The closures will be in force from 6pm to midnight on Friday, July the 20th, and noon to midnight on July 21st and 22nd. Buses and the emergency services will be able to access to the roads while they are shut. Mr Buns added, we are not going to please everyone. There will be a diversion sign boasted. No one's going to be held a prisoner in their own homes. The festival has historically closed the stretch of the high street closest to the riverside and the connecting roads. Around 4,200 campers descended on Upton for last year's festival, while thousands more visited during the day. The event was crowned the country's best blues festival in the UK Blues Awards 2018. The UK enjoyed its sunniest May on record, provisional figures show. A total of 245.3 hours of sunshine were measured across the country last month, according to the Met Office. This is more than any May since current records began in 1929. It was also the warmest day, warmest May on record. The average daytime maximum temperature was 17 17 degrees centigrade, just beating the previous all-time high of 16.9 centigrade in May 1992. Met Office data for temperatures go back to the 19th. to 1910. Despite thunderstorms bringing flash floods at the end of the month, rainfall across the UK in May was less than two-thirds of the level expected. Tim Legg of the Met Office National Climate Climate Information Centre said, 
Increased sunshine has helped to keep daytime temperatures high, leading to it provisionally being the warmest May since records began in 1910. A city food festival which takes place this weekend has been named as one of the best events in the UK. Worcester Food Festival has made it onto Holiday Lettings UK list of top 10 attractions taking place in June. The three-day free festival, which will feature more than 60 food and drink stalls, will take place from Friday to Sunday. Phoebe Dawson, Chief Executive of Worcester Business Improvement District, which runs the annual event, said Worcester Food Festival celebrates all of the fantastic food and drink businesses that our city boasts. Worcester is a vibrant city full of wonderful restaurants, cafes and bars, and we're delighted that Holiday Letting UK has recognised this. The Worcester Food Festival is our opportunity to showcase these wonderful businesses as well as other local gems over one fantastic weekend which will be packed with free activities for foodies, families and anyone who likes a tipple. Visitors will be able to take part in an ale trail around the city and enjoy free cookery demonstrations and workshops. The demonstrations are set to take place in Cathedral Square and High Street with family activities taking place in Crowngate. There will be a free foodie emporium held in Crowngate Shopping Centre between June the 8th and June the 10th between 11am and 4pm. Children will get to don lab coats and spectacles and make food such as muffins and cookies at the emporium. Mike Lloyd, organisation's manager at Crowngate Shopping Centre, said, Here at Crowngate, we wanted to create something extra special to go alongside Worcester Food Festival. Not only will the free foodie emporium be lots of fun, but we thought this was the perfect opportunity to teach local youngsters something new. For more details, go on worcesterbid.com forward slash foodie or visit Worcester on Facebook. An electricity company will be fined for failing to operate temporary traffic lights which are causing commuter chaos. Drivers have experienced tailbacks in Hallow, near Worcester, since Western Power Distribution, or WPD, started digging up the road on Monday. The firm set up lights on the A443 to enable the installation of electricity cables for a nearby housing development. Emma Cooper, aged 21, a bartender at the Crown Inn in Hallow, said some customers had experienced delays of around 45 minutes because of the traffic lights. She said, we lose sales and it leaves us a bit stranded. We have saved a table for someone and we have had to turn away walk-ins. Miss Cooper added that she did not believe the pub had been consulted on the roadworks. John Fraser, head of Highways for Worcestershire County Council, said it seems that Western Powers contractors are not complying with their permit. There is no work currently on site and the traffic signals are not being manually controlled. We have received complaints today about queues back towards Holt Heath and no queuing traffic from the Worcester direction. We have urgently contacted Western Power today to insist that they comply with their permit and have manual control to avoid long queues. We will be levying penalty charges on this scheme. It is disappointing we are having to step in to resolve the issue. 
A WPD spokesman apologised for the inconvenience and said it is investigating the council allegations. The three-way lights are manned between 7am and 7pm and are due to be removed on June the 12th, according to WPD. The County Council gave WPD a permit on May the 24th on the condition that the lights should be manually controlled. And now we're on to some sport articles and the first one is on football. FA Cup hero... Sean Geddes could be in line for a shock return to Worcester City after being invited to pre-season training. Formerly a Manchester United trainee and Warsaw professional, Geddes has endured a nomadic existence in the semi-professional game following his highlights at City. He scored both goals in the FA Cup second round proper triumph at Coventry City in 2014 and became an online sensation when his Rabona strike against Barrow went viral on YouTube. Since then, City has dropped three levels, while Geddes has sporadically popped up at a variety of outposts, looking to rekindle the magic of his efforts in blue and white, and those that helped Starbridge to the FA Cup second round on two occasions and with the 26-year-old looking to kickstart his career after recent knee surgery, manager John Snape reckons he could prove the perfect fit for Worcester. A fit and revitalised Sean Geddes would be a magician in any side. His creativity and scoring records speak for themselves, said Snape. Due to the nature of his injury, he is on a recovery programme following some minor surgery. He's back in light training and has been invited in for pre-season training, but he would like to negotiate something before committing. We have open talks and I have a very good working relationship with him. It might suit both parties under the current circumstances. And Geddes is not the only star of that day at the Rico Arena on Snape's hit list, with Tyler Weir in talks over a comeback. Fullback Weir was with City twice last season, briefly leaving for Hensford Town before Redditch United swooped for his services. We've been in touch with Tyler about a return, said Snape. There's been no breakdown in talks, but a time limit has been set to see if we wants to come back within the current financial structure. Snape confirmed he would not pursue any dual registration deal for Brad Birch on the back of Starbridge announcing they had agreed terms with the ex-City skipper. Negotiations with Mark Smith and George Forsyth are set to continue, but striker Joel Ambalu and midfielder Yannick Gomez, drafted in at the back end of last season, are unlikely to return. Defender Sam Hall is in the United States but plans to return to the UK for pre-season with Snape reporting he had fully recovered from a knee injury. Shabir Khan would be welcome to take part in pre-season training with Snape confirming there are some other targets who play locally when asked about adding new faces. One player that is unlikely to be back is West Bromwich Albion loan keeper Adam Prishbeck, 
We have touched base with West Brom and they would like to see him gain experience at a higher level, said Snape. This is an article about cricket, about the Royal London One Day Cup. England international Moeen Ali has been back to return to form with the bat by Worcestershire head coach Kevin Sharp. All-rounder Moeen heads to former club and derby rivals Warwickshire today, that is Thursday the 7th of June. And Sharp believes the 30-year-old will soon be making a big impact in another part of his game as he gears up for England's one-day international against Scotland and the five-match one-day international series versus Australia later in the month. Moe is a dangerous player, but I think it is difficult for him at the moment because he has not really had much of a bat these past few months, said Sharp. He has been in the IPL and played only a handful of games. He had a difficult winter and has not spent masses of time at the crease. He got an absolute jaffer of a delivery on Sunday from Ben Sanderson, a brilliant ball, and that's cricket, isn't it? Sometimes, when you are searching a little bit, these things happen. But we know he is a class player and it will only be a matter of a short period of time before he is back for sure. Look at his stats, that's all you have to do. Moeen has 50 test, 73 ODIs and 22 T20s under his belt for England and Sharp believes teammate Joe Clark is also destined for an international honours. Clark scored 122 in the victory over Northamptonshire. Steelbacks at New Road on Sunday further highlighting his credentials. Sharp said, I am sure Joe will play for England. That's what he wants to do. He is a class player and proves that regularly. All he has to do is keep scoring runs. If he keeps on like that, then he won't be too far away from an international selection. He is still learning and relatively young, but he is a learner and sometimes, if you don't quite get it right, that can be a good thing. You sometimes learn more when you don't get it quite right, I think. I'll get it right next time. Meanwhile, Clark is relishing being a part of another Edgbaston showdown. Games like Thursday are what you play for. That chance to finish top of the group against the rivals in a derby is brilliant, he said. You want to play in games like that and to come out on top and win the group, which would be really special. There has always been that little bit extra on it. It will be a special day. Hopefully we will come out on top, but we have plenty of respect for Warwickshire. And here's some rugby union now. Marco Mummer says he is looking forward to working with a group of coaches that will be all on the same page at Worcester Warriors. The back rower felt Warriors had a very muddled coaching team last season with several of Alan Solomon's staff brought in by different directors of rugby over the past few years. But Solomon's has set about recruiting his own men, having appointed Rory Duncan as head coach and Neil Doak as attack and backs coach. The duo will replace Carl Hogg and Sam Vesti, respectively, this summer. 
specialist coaches Simon Cross, breakdown, Andy Long, throwing, and Paul Grayson, kicking, have also been let go as Solomon's Beliefs forwards coach Meffin Davis and Academy backs coach Gordon Ross can take on their responsibilities. Mama reckoned Duncan and Doak would bring a new energy to Warriors and share the same vision as Solomon's, who took over at the helm at Six Ways in late December. We have got new coaches coming in, but the base of that team is already there, Mama said. We know Alan. He is the head guy who is going to be running the place for two years, which makes a big difference. Then we are going to have some new energy and maybe a different focus with a new attack coach and head coach, which a lot of the guys are really looking forward to. If you look at the coaching team last season, it was a team put together by very different people. Every director of rugby has got a style of attack coach or defence coach that they really like. But we had a very muddled team with Sam and Meff brought in by Dean Ryan. Omar Munimini, I think, I think that's correct pronunciation, was then brought in by Gary Gold. So it was a coaching team that had been jumbled together. They have been able to appoint a coaching team for next season that is all on the same page and wants to play the same style of rugby, which makes a great difference. A serious knee injury sustained in pre-season forced Mama to miss most of the 2017-18 campaign. <coughs> campaign. The 27-year-old battled back to play the last four games of the season, including an 80-minute shift in Warriors' final day defeat at Northampton Saints. I think it is a credit to the backroom staff that a player can be out for eight months and come back and be able to perform, he said. What was nice for me was that I was able to get back playing before the end of the season and know that my knee was good and I could play well on it for 80 minutes. But it is about building for the next season now. We are all excited to get away and have a bit of a break. After that, we will meet our new coaches, train hard and try to, to start that season with a winning run as opposed to a losing run, which we did last time. And now back to other news items. A dangerous driver who led police on a chase at speeds of 110 miles per hour and had to be boxed in by pursuit cars was told he could easily have killed someone. Jamie Weatherby, who was said to be suicidal at the time, led police on a 21-minute chase on Worcestershire roads, dodging two stingers before police performed the tactical manoeuvre. When he did stop, he was talking on his mobile phone. The 27-year-old had already admitted dangerous driving when he appeared for sentence at Worcester Crown Court yesterday, and that was Friday the 1st. Police were initially alerted that Weatherby may be at suicide risk and were concerned for his welfare. He left the Holiday Inn car park in Witchbold near Droitwich in a Ford Fiesta just before 10pm on April 15th, turning in the direction of Droitwich and then Stoke Prior. Lal Amasinghe, prosecuting, said that when the officer activated the blue lights, Weatherby accelerated away at one point driving at 70 miles an hour on the 30 miles per hour road. He headed through Hanbury towards Redditch, entering the Bromsgrove Highway as four police cars attempted the tactical box manoeuvre. 
whether we drove at speeds of up to 100 miles per hour before driving at 110 miles per hour on the Warwick Highway and went the wrong way around the traffic island at Claybrook Drive. He drove at speeds of between 80 and 100 miles an hour on a road where the limit was 40 and overtook another vehicle on a blind crest. During the chase, there were two failed attempts by police to bring the chase to an end using a stinger and in the end, Weatherbeat was brought to a stop when he was blocked in by police cars. Mr. Amarasinghe said he, the officer, made contact with the vehicle and caused the rear to spin. It span onto the grass verge and came to a stop. Officers had formed a box around it. He, that is Weatherby, was holding his mobile phone in his hand and talking on his phone when they stopped him. Weatherby was arrested, but because of his mental health, was de-arrested and taken to hospital, only for him to be arrested upon his discharge on April 25th. Lee Egan, defending, said he had attempted suicide by taking pills and gave no reply when cautioned, sobbing into his hands. He had taken several paracetamol and police were looking for him because it was reported he was in a suicidal condition. Mr Egan described Weatherby as a measured and articulate father of two. He expresses gratitude to the police officers, which, in his view, saved his life, Mr Egan said. In an interview with a probation officer, Weatherby said he had been driving to a familiar spot in Witchbowl to end his life, had taken paracetamol and had brought a length of hose reel, planning to kill himself using carbon monoxide poisoning. He has also been prescribed antidepressants and antipsychotic medication. The probation officer assessed him as being at a high risk of reoffending, with a 72% chance of him reoffending within the next two years. Weatherby had no previous convictions for driving offences, but an unenviable record in relation to domestic violence, the court heard. Recorder. Jacqueline Carey gave Weatherby full credit for his early guilty plea but said there were a number of aggravating features including high speeds, the fact that he went the wrong way around a traffic island, overtook on a blind crest, conditions, the wet road and the high risk he had presented to other road users. Recorder Carey It's sheer good fortune that no one was injured or worse still killed. Recorder Carey jailed him for 12 months and banned him from driving for two years and six months. He must also complete an extended retest. This is an article about the original site of Sansom Walk Swimming Pool. The City Council wants to save a tree of heaven as the soon, at the soon-to-be swimming pool site. Worcester City Council plans to preserve three red maples and one Ailanthus altissima, dubbed the tree of heaven, in the grounds of Sansom Walk Swimming Pool. The closed swimming pool is due to be demolished ahead of a proposed housing development by YMCA and Sanctuary Housing. 
Residents thought the bid to save the trees might delay the project. However, the City Council says the trees have been taken into account in its demolition plan. County Councillor Matthew Jenkins, who represents the area, said, To me, it sounds like good news. One of the big concerns residents have is that they want to preserve the trees. The concern was when we got to these first draft YMCA sanctuary housing plans, they seemed to be obliterating most of the green space, which was a big concern. There are not many green spaces in the centre of the Arboretum. It was important to keep that green space as somewhere everyone can use. Councillor Jenkins added that the residents were also concerned that the trees could be hidden behind the proposed housing. He said, we don't want the green space to be blocked off behind other buildings. The trees were assessed by Worcester City Council in March. A spokesman for the council said, these particular four trees were found to be in exceptionally good condition and they also have a dramatic impact on the character of the area. The council said the trees will not be affected by the demolition of the site, which is due to start in early autumn. Between £1.3 million and £1.9 million is expected to be spent on tearing down the building, which is contaminated with asbestos. The council is currently going through the process of selling the land to the YMCA and sanctuary housing. It intends to take measures to ensure that the trees are preserved even after the sale is complete, potentially by issuing a tree protection order. Councillors voted to sell the site to the YMCA and Sanctuary Housing at a Policy and Resources Committee meeting in March. The developers plan to build 76 accommodation units and 22 two-bedroom shared ownership homes on the 2.1-acre site. Residents are concerned about the high number of proposed homes and the associated problems this may cause. Citizens Advice volunteers are making a difference to people's lives in the county. Worcester Citizens Advice Bureau and Citizens Advice Bureau Herefordshire are celebrating volunteers who dedicate their time to solving people's problems and making a difference to their lives. Volunteers Week, which runs until June the 7th, which is today, is themed Volunteering for All, and the charity wants to highlight the work of its team, which helps people in the community struggling with debt, housing, benefit and employment issues, amongst other issues. Over 70 volunteers at Worcester Cab and Citizens Advice Herefordshire have given up an average of 10 hours each per week and last year helped 9,025 individuals with 21,363 problems. The charity's volunteers have played a crucial role ensuring people in Worcester and surrounding areas and Herefordshire get the advice and support they need to get on, their li- to get on with their lives. Citizens Advice offers a wide range of voluntary roles, including fundraising, advisors, administrators and trustees. Emily Gidman at Worcester Cab has been volunteering while she studied law at the University of Worcester. She said, By helping people sort out problems that have been holding them back, I've learned skills that have really helped me develop confidence for my own career prospects. 
Martin Saunders, chief executive at the Worcester Cab, said, Our volunteers make a huge difference to people's lives. They give up their free time to help people in their community. If you'd like to help people in your area and can spare a few hours, we'd love to hear from you. For more details about volunteering, contact Colin Stewart at Worcester Citizens Advice Bureau and colin.stewart at cabwhabac.org.uk. Fossils were uncovered at Worcestershire Nature Reserve as two local organisations joined forces to remove scrub from a rock face. Volunteers from Worcestershire Wildlife Trust and the Herefordshire and Worcestershire Earth Heritage Trust came together to clear the face of an old quarry at Alfric near Malvern. Although it is now a quiet nature reserve, Blackhouse Wood once rang to the sound of stone being hand-quarried. Dominique Cragg of the World Wildlife Trust said Blackhouse Wood and the adjacent Cruise Hill Wood form a really important part in a chain of woodlands running up from the Malvern Hills to the Wire Forest, Wire Forest. We think of them now as quiet places to enjoy a walk, but 150 years ago that would have been very different. There were many quarries in the area. Stone was worked by hand with shovels and picks. The evidence can still be seen today and the quarries are of interest not just to naturalists who explore the microhabitats in them but also to geologists who can explore the rocks and fossils found there. One of the quarries, designated a local geological site, is home to one of just three bands of Silurian limestone to the west and north of the Malverns. Quarrying at this site followed a particularly desirable layer of limestone underneath layers of clay formed by chemical alteration of volcanic ash that fell and settled on the seabed in the area about 425 million years ago. Most of us forget or just don't realise that this part of Worcestershire used to be under a tropical sea. So it's not really surprising that we come across a block of limestone with several fossils in it. We found a brachiopod, which is a marine animal that lived on the seabed, as well as a coral. Both lived here more than 400 million years ago. Brass music will enthrall music fans around Perschall. Pershaw Midsummer Brass will see 12 hours of music across the town at five different venues. Over 30 bands will perform as part of the entertainment of Saturday, July the 7th. Tickets for this year's event will be priced at £7.50, remaining unchanged from previous years. The event starts at 10am with a fanfare from Pershaw Abbey, and ends at 10pm in both Pershaw Abbey and the Angel Inn Garden. Throughout the day, bands play all around Pershaw, including at the new venue, the Star Inn in Bridge Street. Chairman of the Organisation Committee, John West, said, This year, bands will have the opportunity to play at a new venue, as the Star Inn has offered its garden. Just like at the Angel Inn, there will be a marquee to shade or shelter visitors from the British weather and, of course, refreshments will be on offer. The bands will also play at established venues around the Georgian market town. 
participants will perform in the intimate setting of Pershaw Baptist Church, Pershaw Abbey and the Angel Inn Garden, while at Chapman Court beside the supermarket, the bands can be seen for free by an even wider audience. Along with brass bands from Worcestershire, community and training bands play alongside renowned bands from further away at Pershaw Midsummer Brass. For more details, log on to this all one word, pershawmidsummerbrass.org.uk. Another item from News in Brief. Um, thousands of breast cancer patients may be sa- safely spared gruelling chemotherapy following a landmark study. A trial of more than 10,000 women with the most common form of early breast cancer found the treatment was unnecessary for many after surgery. The findings will lead to a fundamental change in how the disease is treated, a leading oncologist said, with an estimated 3,000 to 5,000 UK women likely to avoid chemotherapy every year as a result. More than 20,000 women in the UK are diagnosed with hormone receptor positive, HER2 negative, node negative breast cancer annually. Around half of these patients would historically receive chemotherapy after having surgery to remove their tumour to prevent the recurrence of the disease. However, the results of the Taylor X trial show that only 30% of women with this particular form of early stage breast cancer benefit from the treatment. The study presented at the American Society of Clinical Oncology annual meeting in Chicago is thought to be the largest breast cancer treatment trial ever conducted. Dr. Alistair Ring, consultant medical oncologist at the Royal Marsden NHS Hospital in London said, I think this is a fundamental change in the way we treat women with early stage breast cancer. Charity Breast Cancer Now described the findings as practice changing. The Taylor X trial used the Oncotype DX test, currently available on the NHS, which allows doctors to predict the likelihood of the breast cancer returning. A sample of the tumour is tested after surgery for 21 genetic markers, which indicate if it could grow and spread. Patients with a recurrence score of up to 10 out of 100 have previously been shown not to benefit from chemotherapy and instead need only hormone treatment. Houses could be built on green fields, making up an oasis in the middle of one of Worcester's most densely populated areas. Ellen Holmes Midlands have applied for permission to build 61 homes on land north of Newtown Road, which would wrap around to the north of houses in Aconbury Close in Ronxwood. Plans submitted as part of the planning application show that the 61 houses would be concentrated to the south of the site, with its northern end to be made into a green space. The application says each house will have its own private drive with sufficient space for parking two cars. Some dwellings also benefit from garages to allow parking for further cars. Generous gardens, which include refuse storage areas, landscaping and tree planting is also included within each plot. 
The developers have suggested 18 different styles of house with a mixture of detached, semi-detached and terraced houses. They could be 10 single-bedroom homes, 14 two-bedroom units, three three-bedroom houses, including one bungalow, 11 four-bed houses and 23 five-bed houses. The application points out that the site has been allocated as suitable for residential use in the South Worcestershire Development Plan and adds, giving its location, it would be inappropriate to introduce any other uses on the site and as such the, pros- the proposals remain wholly residential. The external appearance of the buildings have been designed to be primarily green, uh, sorry, primarily red brick and traditional in style in order to respect the context in which the existing surrounding buildings. At the moment, the only access to the site, apart from on public footpaths across the fields, is from Newtown Road, where a single lane paved track runs north for a few hundred yards and is blocked by gates to prevent vehicles going any further. The developers say a new road would have to be created to give access to the development from Newtown Road. At the top of the track, on the eastern boundary of the development site, lies a covered reservoir. The application, which has the number P18Q0226, is available to view on the City Council's website. A closed car dealership is reopening under new ownership. Motorline Hyundai on the A443 in Hallow is relocating to the former Hilton Nissan Worcester, <coughs> Worcester showroom in Bromyard Road, Worcester. Motorline bought the site, which includes Hilton's closed Renault dealer, earlier this year and plans to open the new business on Monday. That will be uh, Monday coming, this next Monday. Paul McDonnell, transaction manager <coughs> for Worcester's Motorline Hyundai, said a used car firm will move into the company's current space in Hallow. He said, we need a bigger dealership as the business is growing. It's five times the size of this dealership. These are very exciting times. We will have a bigger display and more cars. Glenn Obie, Chief Executive Officer of Motorline, said the new dealership will start trading on Monday. He added, we are delighted to have carried out a refresh and refit of the old Nissan dealership and we are looking forward to imminent opening of our relocated Hyundai dealership. We look forward to moving Hyundai into this more prominent location, adjoining a number of other motor retailers in that area of Worcester and within a short distance from our existing Toyota dealership. We are confident this will enable us to serve our customers better and to develop the business further with a keen willingness to employ more local staff with a variety of skills required. The old site is being handed back to our landlord and we understand they have already secured another motor retailer to occupy the premises following our transfer. City Councillor Richard Uddle said he was pleased that the site was reopening, although he was unhappy about the closure of Hilton's Nissan and Renault dealerships in Bromyard Road. He said, it's good that once again it's going to become a car dealer. Hopefully it will bring more job opportunities to the area. This still leaves many Nissan and Renault customers with many difficulties. Parts, maintenance and warranties. It's difficult for some people to get to the nearest dealerships now. 
I hope in time we will have another Renault and Nissan dealership in Worcester. Councillor Uddall, who represents St John's, added that a lot of people lost their jobs when the Renault and Nissan dealership closed. Andy Morgan of Powderham Avenue, Worcester, previously said his disabled dad had been using the Nissan dealership for nine years as part of the Motability Scheme. He claimed his parents were left in limbo as they were not informed of the closure. Police have said an incident in which fraudsters conned an elderly man out of £5,000 to fit a new porch is a civil rather than a criminal matter and there's little more they can do. Three men in a white van persuaded the 74-year-old who did not wish to be named to withdraw £5,000 to pay them to fit a porch before writing a receipt on a betting slip and disappearing. The conman arrived out of the blue at the man's arboretum home on May the 20th and offered to repair his run-down porch initially for £150, which he agreed to. I feel like a bloody fool for letting it happen, he told the Worcester News. It did need repairing, but they've just knocked the whole porch down and then told me I need a new one. The man, a former engineer who's lived in Arboretum for 35 years, said the fraudsters demolished the porch on May the 21st and returned the next day wanting £5,000 to fit a new one. Like a fool, I got it for them and as soon as I handed it over, they went away, he said. The pensioner then reported the incident to the police. PC Richard Foxall of West Mercia Police said he spoke to the man when he came to the police station on May 23rd and after discussion I advised him that this was a civil rather than a criminal matter. PC Foxall said he understands the man has reported the matter to action fraud on the recommendation of citizens' advice. I arranged for the Safer Neighbourhood team to attend and give assurance almost immediately and they will be maintaining contact with him to offer continuing reassurance and advice. He said members of the public are reminded not to hand over money for work which they may not be necessary and to fully establish the credentials of anyone unexpectedly offering to carry out repairs. Anyone who is suspicious of offers of repair work should call 101 and alert action fraud. The elderly man said he has come to terms with the fact that he has lost his money, but the incident was traumatising. This is an article uh, on what's on this week. Uh, A farm will be open to the public this weekend. Stocks Farm Suckley will be supporting LEAF Open Farm Sunday this year and will be open from 11am until 2pm on Sunday, June the 10th. Entry is free with a voluntary donation to Suckley School for playground equipment. Stocks Farm is a 200-year-old family-owned and run hop an apple farm. It has been in the Kappa family for more than half a century. Hops and apples are a huge part of its history. The farm will welcome visitors to experience firsthand what will be harvested for breweries, home brewers, cider makers and supermarkets throughout the UK and worldwide. Stocks Farm owners Richard and Ali Kappa 
will share their knowledge, give a tour of the internationally famous Bruff hop-picking machine and kiln, explain the growing season of the modern hop farming and give a tour of the eating and cider apple orchards. The orchard tour will necessitate some walking between half a mile and a mile on even ground. Gates open at 11am for an introduction and then the tour starts. For more information, contact 01886-884202 or email joe at stocksfarm.net. And that nearly brings us to the end. Um, just, uh, it gives me great pleasure to announce that thanks to one of the most brilliant found, uh, fundraisers we have, which is Mike Wynn, Tesco's Bags of Help Grant Scheme has accepted Worcester Talking News application. And I'll read what, uh, what happens next. Your project, along with the other two successful projects in your region, will go forward to a vote in Tesco's stores where their customers will decide the outcome of voting for their favourite project each time they shop. Voting will take place from Sunday the 1st of July to Friday the 31st of August and will notify you at the end of September confirming the amount of funding you will receive. The project with the highest number of votes across your region will receive £4,000 or the amount that was requested up to this value. The second place project is £2,000, or the amount that was requested up to this value. And the third place project is £1,000. And to reiterate, if you are first in the vote, you'll receive the amount that you requested in your application. Um, they're putting on the votes in Droitwich Express, in Henwick Park Worcester Express, um, I've got Worcester 1 and Worcester 2. I presume that those are Tesco stores, but I'm not sure. Oh, WR53SW, I don't know where that is, and WR4OUJ. Worcester Express in WR52EL. Worcester 4 Gate Express and Worcester Warnden. So to vote, you will need to make a purchase within the store of any value. You'll receive one token per transaction, and it's not necessary to purchase a carrier bag in order to receive a token. So just go and do some shopping and vote for us, and we will get some funds for Worcester Talking Newspapers, which will be very useful. Um, it's 40 years since the talking news hit the streets, and to celebrate, please join us between 2 p.m. and 4 p.m. on Saturday, the 28th of July, in the Commandery gra uh, Grounds, where we'll have music and displays and refreshments, and everybody is welcome. So please do come along to that. Um, emergency phone numbers for out-of-hours medical assistance, 6 to 8 p.m. is 0300-123-3211. And the NHS number for non-emergency help is 111. Malvern Theatre's telephone number is 01684-892277. Worcester Live is 611429, which covers the Swan and Huntington Hall. Worcester Hub number for council matters is 765765 or 722233. Crime Stoppers telephone number is 0800 555 111. Um, our telephone number is 01905 
767766. Our address is 11 Wilds Lane, Worcester, WR5 1DA. And the website is worcestertalkingnews.org.uk. You'll find all the recordings of our uh, magazines and our newspapers on that, so you can listen and plenty more. Um, lighting up time is 21.25 to 4.50. There are no birthdays that we know of this week, so if anybody is celebrating, please let us know because we would love to um, wish you a many happy returns. Um, your feedback is uh, very valued. Please let us know any likes or dislikes and just pop them in the envelopes and somebody will read them and let us know. So from all of us, good night.